This afternoon we have the opportunity to consider the doctrine of the Word of God concerning the keys of the kingdom of heaven. These keys are watchmen over our souls, and so we will read from Ezekiel 33, the verses 1 through 20, when God commissions Ezekiel as a watchman over the souls of Israel. Ezekiel 33, the verses 1 through 20. This is the word of God. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory, and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning... If the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood... I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, The righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Yet the children of your people say, The way of the Lord is not fair, but it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you 
according to his own ways. So far, the word of the Lord. We will turn now to God's word as it is summarized in Lord's Day 31. Lord's Day 31, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the holy gospel, and church discipline? By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent." According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation, and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. Following the sermon, we will sing together. Psalm 1, stanzas 1 through 3. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we are faced with a solemn task of the church. It is a solemn duty because in this Lord's Day we confess the teaching of God's Word as regards the two parts of the covenant. These two parts are that the kingdom is opened to those who are under covenant blessing, but on the other hand, it's closed to those who are under covenant curse. It's not an easy doctrine to proclaim, but it is necessary that we proclaim also this truth of the gospel. Christ gave us the keys of the kingdom in order to watch over us, so that by them we might be reminded of the salvation in Him alone, and that we be warned about God's wrath concerning sin. And so I bring you the Word of God under the following theme. Christ gave the keys of the kingdom to His church to open and close the kingdom. And we'll see three things. As such, the kingdom is ruled by Christ, the kingdom is closed to the unrepentant, and it is opened to believers. So first of all, the kingdom is ruled by Christ. 
Well, this Lord's Day is placed in a very deliberate position within our catechism. It is the final Lord's Day under the section called Our Deliverance. As such, this Lord's Day pertains to the matter of our salvation in Christ. And it's important for us to understand what that means. Where the teaching of the keys meets up with deliverance is in the perseverance of the saints. And it is in the call of God to bring people to faith. It means that the keys of the kingdom, they play a crucial role in our salvation. They are means by which Christ brings his people into his kingdom. So this kingdom is Christ's kingdom. Christ rules over everything, all things spiritual, all rulers, all creation. Thus, Christ rules also over the church, and all authority that is exercised in the church derives its authority from him alone. The Reformation was keen to emphasize this because the Roman Catholic Church had a ruler. That's the Pope. And the Roman Catholic Church still has a ruler today. They still have a Pope. See, in the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope may speak in such a way that's irrevocable. That means it can't be taken back. So the Pope, the Pope then is the ruler of the Roman Catholic Church. But the Reformed, for their part, they only see Christ as their king. And the Reformed look to the Word of God for his instruction. Through the Word of God, then, Christ rules his church. Well, it pleased God, then, to organize the church in such a way that there would be those who would equip the saints, as Scripture says in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. And I'll just read that with you real quick. Paul speaks about the unity of the church and also the way that the church is organized in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12 says this, And he, that is God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So it pleased God then to organize the church in such a way that there would be men who would do this. As such, each and every believer is called by him to join themselves to the church that is organized in such a way. We're not free to be lone wolf Christians. We are all members of the one body that is ruled by Christ our head. We all stand under Christ's command to join his church so that we can be watched over by those who are given authority over us by Christ. Well, in order that sinners might be called to repentance and that believers be comforted concerning their salvation, God has given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And there are two of them. Notice carefully how the catechism puts it. They are the preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline. You see that neither of those keys can be exercised outside of the church. And that is why all Christians must join Christ's church so that we might be ruled by Christ 
through the exercise of the keys of the kingdom. Failing to do so would mean failing to seek salvation in the way that God has provided it. Well, the preaching of the Word of God is the means by which the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts. Church discipline, on the other hand, is the Word of God as it is applied to particular sins in an individual's life. So in general, we can say that the preaching of the Word of God is a key that is used collectively. Everybody here at church or listening on the live stream will hear it. Whereas church discipline is used on an individual level. Now the church may not use these keys in any way that it sees fit. Since it is Christ who rules this church, the use of these keys is only valid to the extent that they are administered according to God's word. It is from the word of God alone that preaching derives its power, and similarly, church discipline derives its authority to admonish, to rebuke, and to warn from the Holy Scriptures. The preaching and discipline are bound to the revelation of God's will. The preaching of the Word of God then is the proclamation of the will of God, and the discipline is the application of what God's Word says about the sin in our lives. Now, the use of these keys is not only the prerogative, that is, the right, you could say, it's not only the right of the consistory to use. For example, some might say that it's the preacher's prerogative to preach and the elders to discipline. No, the use of the keys is something for which the entire church is involved. When the keys of the kingdom are exercised, we are performing the task of the office of all believers, as it says in Lord's Day 12. We might not all preach, but we all, as prophets, confess the name of Christ with our mouths. And the elders, they guard the table of the Lord and prevent those under discipline from participating in the sacrament. But we all, as kings, fight against sin. And as priests, seek to live our lives as living sacrifices of thankfulness. And so the keys of the kingdom of heaven are not only about the leaders of the church. All of us have a role to play. With regards to preaching, the whole congregation must be involved in the preaching. The manner of involvement includes expressing your desire for who you want to be a minister, who you want the consistory to call as a minister. More often than that, more regularly, it involves our commitment to hearing the word of God being preached. Will we then make it a priority to come to church if we are able and hear the message of Christ in the preaching of the word each Sunday? And when we are here, are we listening intently or are we filling time? It would be healthy to meditate before church on the fact that Christ rules us by the preaching of His Word. It should make us eager then to perform our task in the preaching of God's Word and to do it well. As for church discipline, any member of the congregation may have to participate in church discipline. You may have to confront a brother or a sister about the sin in their lives. That's not nice to think about, 
but it is a reality that we've been called to watch over one another. In any case, when the discipline moves further along, we are all called to pray for a wayward member of the church. So discipline and excommunication are never done without the involvement of the congregation in the use of this key of the kingdom either. Well, having discussed in short the nature of our responsibility in using the keys, we've got to remember that we are stewards of the keys only. We are not the masters of these keys. A steward is given a certain power with regards to the keys that he's been given. Much like a herald or an ambassador must give the message which the king or which the government has told him to give, so also we must endeavor to use what we have been given in accord with Christ's rule. So this is a most serious task which Christ has given to his church. And we know that in ourselves, we're not up for it. Our sinful nature hinders us from performing this task to the utmost of our abilities and to the standard that God requires. And yet we are not without hope in performing this task because God has sent his Holy Spirit, the Spirit who knows the mind of God, he empowers us to do this task if only we prayerfully ask for that help. So as we take on this duty of the church, we can have courage and we can have peace that by the Spirit's power we will be faithful stewards of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And there is one final thing that I would like to touch on for the first point. That is, that through the use of these keys, Christ watches over this church. And he does so because he loves his church. The keys are an expression of his love toward us. To keep us on the path that leads to him. This should color our understanding of this duty of the church. It is a labor of love. Christ shows his love to us by reminding us weekly of the salvation that we have in him. He also shows us his love and that he is willing to discipline us. And every parent will understand what that means, the relationship between discipline and love. Because we must train our children in the ways that they should go. They need discipline. And so we also must be disciplined by God because he loves us. In church discipline... Christ shows that he cares enough about each and every one of us, you and me, to use discipline, to call us back to faith, to call us back to him. So let us keep that in mind as we move on to our second point. The kingdom is closed to the unrepentant. Well, this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 31, is not the first time that the keys of the kingdom have been mentioned in the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism has just finished its teaching on the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper. And at the end of that teaching, in question and answer 82, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are mentioned. There, the Catechism teaches that they ought to be used in order to exclude hypocrites from the table of the Lord. 
This is because anyone who does not hold to the word of God as it is preached cannot be permitted to partake of the word of God as it is symbolized, as it is signed and sealed in the sacraments either. It is a very dangerous thing to profane the covenant of our God as the Corinthian church found out. And Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, to exclude those whose confession and life are ungodly is a serious and it is a necessary duty for their sake and for ours. This exclusion from the sacraments is a responsibility that falls on the elders of the church. They bear the burden in this matter. This task requires vigilance and attentiveness. Certainly you will need courage to do this well. Office bearers require the characteristics of a watchman. A watchman cannot fail to warn his people of the coming danger. The people depend on him. They depend on him for that warning. So also anyone who desires to take on the task of an office bearer in the church and that's myself included, must take care to be diligent in the matter of warning people not to profane the sacraments. And yet we know that the Holy Spirit does strengthen all of us to do our tasks faithfully, and this one included. So take heart, office bearers, and be vigilant, because God is with you. Well, the difficult thing about the keys of the kingdom is that we have to reckon with the reality that God's wrath against sin is very real. The scriptures are plainly honest about the condemnation that comes upon sinners. So those who preach or who desire to preach are duty-bound to preach this as well. And when the truth of God's wrath against sin is preached and an unbeliever or a hypocrite hears it and they deny their sin or they seek their salvation outside of Christ, they will find the gates of heaven firmly shut. They will find themselves, as some of Christ's parables teach, outside the kingdom where there is weeping and where there is gnashing of teeth, where there is outer darkness. The preaching of the gospel is a warning about God's coming wrath. We know that there will be a time when Christ returns, and he will return. And then God's wrath will come upon the unrepentant. And when that day comes, there will be those who say that God's way is not just, that God's way is not fair. There will be those who try to claim it is the fault of the gospel that they did not repent. But it is not the fault of the gospel, nor is it the fault of those who warn others about God's wrath against sin. As Scripture says in Ezekiel 33, verse 9, But if you warn the wicked from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. Much like Ezekiel would be absolved of guilt if he warned the people, so also the office bearers of the church have no guilt in this matter if they diligently perform their task to warn against sin. If someone will not repent and turn to God, then that is their own sin. But if they turn to the Lord, confessing their sins and submitting to Him, then let all glory be to God for His mercy. To those who do not repent, 
Question and answer 85 describes the process of church discipline. It is a painful process for all involved. And yet it is the evidence of the love that God has for us and the love that we have for one another. And we should remember always that the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. The whole idea behind church discipline is to disciple somebody. And a disciple is a follower. And church discipline takes those who have wandered away from following Christ and seeks to set them back on the right way. So church discipline takes a particular order as it is laid out in question and answer 85. And we can see that the process begins at a small, private level. The character of discipline at this point is brotherly or sisterly admonishment. This means that the love we have for each other should be apparent in our words and in our actions as we seek to restore the wandering Christian. The privacy of this part of discipline ensures that we uphold one another's reputation. And when this task is performed, then we are performing the office of all believers as kings to fight against sin. We share in Christ's anointing to do so. To perform this task, we have a responsibility then to be living members of your congregation. How can we perform this office if we never see each other? And where else do we gather except at church? And so we should be mindful of our office. We should be mindful of the duty that we have to attend the worship service in person, if possible. Live streaming is a useful tool for those who are homebound due to health concerns or old age or caring for very young children. Just to give a few examples, but it is not a replacement for the communion of the body of Christ that we should have with one another. If we are bound together by the Spirit into the one body of Christ, then this should be apparent in our worship service as well. So then, if we cannot restore a brother or a sister privately, then the church and the elders should be involved. Even at this point, the matter is still fairly private. Again, this is to protect the sinner's reputation. If they should repent at this point, then why should we hang out their dirty laundry? That can only do harm. But if they will not repent, and if they stubbornly hang on to their sins, despite the repeated warnings, then they will eventually be excommunicated from the church. And when church discipline is executed according to God's word and by the authority that is derived from Christ's authority, then we need to understand that those who are thus excluded from the church are excluded by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. But we must never forget that even this is designed to turn the sinner from his way and back to following Christ. The goal of the watchman is to save people's lives. The goal of church discipline is to save people's souls. As it says in Ezekiel 33 verse 11, as I live declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Though painful, 
Church discipline is necessary. It is necessary because the church has been redeemed and it looks towards Christ. The church is committed to pursuing the goal of putting on Christ. And this means that anything that holds us back from worshiping God and from following Christ, it must be cut off. This is a goal towards which we strive. And we know that we can't be perfect in this life. That's not possible. But it means that we must be repentant. And it means that we must be submissive to the word of God. Then God will clothe us with Christ's righteousness. Well, since we have taken the time to square with the closing of the kingdom by preaching and church discipline, then let us turn towards the other side of the keys, to the opening of the kingdom of heaven. This we will do in our third point. Since the exercise of the keys is such a solemn, such a serious task, where we do reckon with God's wrath against sin, we might easily be distracted from the grace that God shows in opening his kingdom in the first place. The gracious thing about the keys is that God never had to open his kingdom to us. We had closed it on ourselves when Adam and Eve had fallen into sin. Judgment came upon them, but God was quick to show grace. He gave the promise of the seed of the woman. And since that time, God has been giving fuller and fuller revelation concerning our salvation. Until ultimately, it was revealed that Jesus Christ is that seed of the woman. Jesus Christ is our salvation. So all that we need to know for salvation has been revealed in God's holy word, the gospel. And God has been concerned to send men to his people to proclaim this gospel, that is, the good news to his people. God has taken care to send men to his people so that they might have life. He wants to give life, and he has provided a way for it. Let's read now the words of Romans 10, the verses 14 to 15. Here Paul speaks about how people come to faith. Paul says there, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. God sends preachers to proclaim the gospel so that all who hear it might believe the gospel and set their hope on Christ. For this reason, the preaching of God's word, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, takes the focus and the emphasis of the worship service. It takes center stage, so to speak. And many churches, they show their commitment to this visibly by the way that they construct their pulpit. I've heard of churches that will construct a pulpit out of pure marble or granite. The idea being that you can't move it because the Word of God ought not to be moved from the center of the worship service. So also our churches, we design our churches so that the focal point of the church is placed on the Word of God. 
and where it is preached. So it falls on the preachers then to explain the Word of God, to preach Christ from every text in the Bible, and to apply it to the life of the congregation. On the other hand, each Sunday a believer must listen to that word and apply it to their lives. We, all of us, we need to listen for when Christ is pointing out the sin in our lives. And we need to hear it when repentance is called for. The Holy Spirit does use the preaching to convict us of our sins. But more than that, the Spirit also uses the preaching to comfort us and to assure us of the salvation that we have. The Spirit uses the preaching to proclaim to us that the kingdom of heaven stands open. What I mean is that the Spirit assures us of our salvation and the genuineness of our faith. This is because preaching not only points out the sin in our lives, but it also shows us how God has begun to work in our lives. He has begun to work true faith and a beginning of obedience in our lives. And we will not want to miss out on that comfort So through the preaching, Christ speaks to us, he rules us, he guides us, and he comforts us. The use of the keys of the kingdom, as I mentioned in the introduction, is related to the perseverance of the saints. It is by the use of these keys that Christ ensures his sheep will hold the faith until the end. With the rule of Christ and the work of the Spirit, Our salvation is secure in Christ. This is how we can be secure in our salvation because of this work of God. Thus the kingdom is open to those who do repent. And it is held open for all those who, by the power of God, continue in the way of repentance and obedience to Him. So far concerning the preaching of the word, opening the kingdom of heaven. We now turn to consider how church discipline opens the kingdom. Well, we cannot lose sight of the fact that Christ is deeply concerned when one sheep wanders away from the flock. Perhaps you remember, kids, the parable of the lost sheep. And perhaps we can take a moment now to recall the basic story of the parable. In that parable, Jesus tells of a flock of 100 sheep but one is missing. This parable comes immediately before the process of church discipline that is described in Matthew 18. In fact, the parable establishes the principle for church discipline. The process of discipline that the catechism outlines belongs together with this parable. In the parable, we get the picture of how strongly Christ desires to bring the wandering Christian back into the flock. He says that the reclamation of one lost sheep is worth more joy than all the 99 sheep who did not wander. So he says in Matthew 18, verse 14, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Well, if it is not the will of the Father that one wandering sheep should perish, then we shall always be right to pray over them. Indeed, God desires that we pray earnestly over the lost sheep who are wandering away. And we can be certain of this, that Christ does seek after those who are wandering. 
through the discipline of the church, they are earnestly called to return to Christ and again experience the opening of the kingdom of God to them. Should they, by the power of the Spirit, see their errors and return home, then they shall be readmitted to the use of the sacraments and as members of the congregation. Just as with excommunication, this involves not only the announcement of the consistory, but also the involvement of the congregation. Dear brothers and sisters, receive such a one with great joy. Consider how joyfully the father welcomed the prodigal son back home when he returned. How he put up a feast. He had a celebration on the spot. So too, our joy should be when a brother or sister who wandered away returns to Christ. So the keys of the kingdom have been given to the church so that Christ will exercise oversight over his church. Both the keys have the goal of pointing to Christ, the Savior. Even discipline in its most extreme form is intended to bring about repentance and the opening of the kingdom of Christ. This is a solemn task, one that requires much patience, much endurance, much vigilance. To be sure, we will not succeed in performing this task without the work of God in our lives. Since the keys derive their authority from Christ and ought to be ex executed according to His Word, we ought always to ask God to work powerfully by His Spirit so that the work will be done well. And as we go into another week, we should be comforted by the use of these keys. Though they do include a solemn task, they are nevertheless tangible proof that God loves us. He loves us enough to discipline us. He loves us enough to proclaim to us and remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's something for which we can give thanks to God. Amen.